today on Ag News Daily. The biggest advantage that F2F Genetics Network can provide to the grower is we provide an unbiased look at hybrids and performance across the country. Uh, we have over 240 R&D test sites. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and happy Friday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell joined by Ashton Carr. Ashton, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Delaney. It is a Friday, so I'm ready for the weekend, although I'm still kind of playing catch up with school, so it's probably just going to be a weekend full of homework. But the Super Bowl, I mean, we mentioned this the other day on the podcast, Super Bowl Sunday, so I'm pretty excited. I'm cheering on the Chiefs, so we'll see come Monday who took that title. We certainly will. Ashton, would you like to place your wager now on who you think will win? Oh, I, I, I'm not a, a betting kind of girl, but I'm really hoping for the Chiefs. But I didn't realize that uh, Rob Gronkowski came back out of retirement to play with Brady on the Buccaneers. Just figured that out yesterday. So I don't know. I'm a Rob Gronkowski fan. I'm a Patrick Mahomes fan. So I'm not sure how it'll go. Yeah, I'm I'm going to be cheering on the Chiefs myself. I do think they are kind of the favored team to win. Obviously, they won last year. I think they can do it again this year, but we'll see for sure. We will. And I saw a funny video the other day. This dolphin, who I guess is pretty good at predicting things, they, you know, held up one football with the Chiefs logo, one football with the Buccaneers logo, and he came up and picked the Chiefs to win. So I think I'm going to side with this dolphin. (laughs) That sounds good. Maybe go places sports, but now that you can. Oh, I don't know. I... (laughs) I uh, like my my money too much. I don't know if I could give it up. (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. Well, Delaney, talking about some news for today, the USDA has extended the general sign-up period for the Conservation Reserve Program. A representative from the USDA, Robert Bonney, says by extending the original deadline of February 12th, the Biden administration will have time to evaluate and implement changes to this program and get it back on track. USDA will continue to accept offers as it considers ways to increase enrollment and provide the opportunity for landowners to adjust and resubmit offers to take advantage of planned CRP improvements. Under the Trump administration, Bonnie says incentives and payment rental rates were reduced, resulting in an enrollment shortfall of more than 4 million acres. Of course, General CRP is a competitive program that uses environmental benefit index to evaluate the to evaluate and rank land offered for enrollment. So folks, be sure to look into that as they have extended that deadline. I'm not sure what the the new deadline is, but the CRP grassland signup runs March 15th through April 23rd and continuous signup is ongoing. Well, Ashton, to switch tracks here just a little bit, it appears that China's buying spree is not over. That is according to Cargill's chief executive officer, Dave McLennan, who said that China is going to need to continue buying soybean and corn imports from the United States, as well as many other countries, obviously, to be able to have enough supplies to rebuild their stockpiles, as well as be able to curb against rising prices in the futures. We know that Dalian corn futures market has risen pretty substantially here since COVID-19. And 
that's not been boding well for the Chinese economy as they're trying to rebuild their African swine herd, or excuse me, as they're trying to rebuild their herd African after African swine fever, a little bit of a tongue twister there. But we also got some end of the year numbers here for 2021. And the USDA came out with the latest trade numbers today on Friday, saying that the U.S. exported some $26.4 billion worth of agricultural goods to China for calendar year 2020. This total is higher if other ag-related products like seafood, ethanol, and forestry goods are included, we're then up to some $29 billion. And so those products are not tallied by USDA in its ag trade data, but they are included in the phase one trade deal between the United States and China. So China was actually well on their way to meeting those goods promised under the phase one trade agreement. And furthermore, the Renewable Fuels Association announced on Friday that China imported about 13 million gallons of U.S. ethanol during the month of December, which has raised some hopes that imports from China will continue here into 2021. So it sounds like all the way around, demand was pretty good here in 2020. And folks are really hoping, and as Cargill's CEO mentioned, it doesn't seem like that trend is going to stop anytime soon, Ashton, which is very supportive for the ag economy. Well, Delaney, I'm glad that you mentioned African swine fever, because if you recall, the illicit African swine fever vaccines were creating mutated strains of the virus. And we talked about that some time ago, I want to say back in 2020. But now Chinese scientists are finding another mutation in the virus. This one, however, looks to be naturally occurring and less deadly than the strain of ASF that we have seen in the past. Less virulent variants have also been found in Latvia and Estonia in recent years. This new strain called, I don't know if they're calling it Hub20 or just HUB20, but either way, it was isolated from pork samples at a market in central Hubei province in China. It had a partial deletion of the CD2V gene and an adjacent 8CR gene. Earlier research in Russia has suggested that deleting the two genes could protect against African swine fever. And this poses many questions. And I think the most important one is, are we going to see a vaccine for ASF, especially if it continues to mutate in such a way we're seeing this naturally occurring mutation? I believe there's been another naturally occurring mutation that scientists have found. And then I think it's just two um, two mutations from the from those illicit vaccines. So I guess that's you know up to four mutations now that we're seeing. So I mean we have so many variants of the flu, and we have you know a flu vaccine, although it's only about sixty five percent effective. I am just wondering if we're ever going to see a non illicit vaccine for African swine fever. That certainly is a good question, Ashton. And I know researchers in China have obviously been working on it. That also kind of supposedly or allegedly sparked some of these new strains we've seen. But the that's a good question, especially if we still have the lingering threat that it could make it to the shores of the United States. You know, I haven't heard as much concern about it from pork producers, probably because it has, for the most part, died off in uh, Eastern Asia, Southeast Asia. But it's still always a looming threat. So something to keep an eye on, that's for sure. I wanted to bring this also to our listeners' attention as we kind of talk about final 
wrap up pieces for 2020, um, the USDA has forecasted that farm income is going to slip in 2021 despite market surge. Largely, the gist of this story is that farm income is going to slip compared to 2020, but only because 2020 saw such unprecedented levels of farm aid, such as CFAP, market facilitation payment programs, PPP loans, etc. So net U.S. farm income overall is expected to fall 8.1% compared to 2020 to about $111.4 billion this year, but that's still 21% higher than the average net farm income that we've seen here over the past 20 years. So not a big surprise just don't be reliant. They are forecasting on any sort of government aid this year because it's likely not to happen. And farm income will fall just slightly because of that. But I think most farmers can agree they'd just like us to get back to some sort of normalcy as opposed to trying or having to take government payments to make up for that, Ashton. Absolutely, Delaney. And we keep saying normalcy, but are we ever really going to get back to how we were pre-pandemic? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I wish somebody had a crystal ball to tell me that, but... Uh, oh, if yeah. only. <laughs> if only. Well, Delaney, I just have one other piece of news that I want to share for you, share with you today, and it's talking about Boeing, the plane brand or plane company. I don't know what you want to call it. It says it will deliver commercial airplanes ready to fly on 100% sustainable aviation fuels by 2030. Sean Newsom, Director of Sustainability Strategy at Boeing, says the commitment is part of broader company efforts to reduce carbon emissions by 2050. And I mean, we've talked about this before when we're talking about sustainability, carbon emissions, greenhouse gas emissions, whatever you want to call it. A lot of people tend to, you know, point the finger to agriculture, but they don't always talk about, you know, airplanes and jets and, you know, all of the the emissions that they project out into the atmosphere. So I'm, I'm glad that Boeing is kind of stepping up and making this promise. But sustainable aviation fuels can be made from a variety of feedstocks, including agricultural feedstock like beef tallow and corn stover. And other feedstocks include forestry waste and non-edible plants. Newsom says planes will need the capability to operate on 100% sustainable fuels to meet reduction goals. Current fuel specifications only allow up to a 50-50 blend with conventional jet fuel. And we were talking just the other day uh, with Covercrest about, you know, that being an option for low carbon feedstock for production of renewable diesel and jet fuel. So I think that, you know, if this continues to happen, if Boeing really commits to this and maybe some other, you know, playing companies as well, then this will just be one other market for agriculture and, you know, just a good step into sustainability for the environment. Yeah. And as you mentioned there, Ashton, agriculture obviously gets thrown under the bus a lot when it comes to that. Uh, we've seen President Biden suggest he is going to use some of the CCC funding or instruct Secretary Vilsack to use that CCC funding to help with carbon emissions and kind of along those same lines here, just one final piece of news for me as well. The Senate on Friday approved a budget resolution that will provide a clear path for President Biden's $1.9 trillion stimulus package, but Republicans used this 
or used a series of amendments to force Democrats to take some stands on numerous environmental and immigration issues, including the reach of federal water regulations, also known as WOTUS. So despite a relatively rare all-night session, we did see the Senate narrowly went on record in favor of protecting the Trump-era rule restricting the jurisdiction of the Clean Water Act. And this was definitely surprising, I think, for a lot of reasons, but it seems that a lot of deals get done behind closed doors and to get this $1.9 trillion stimulus package passed, the Democrats had to make some concessions. Therefore, you know, I'm sure it could be brought up later, but for now, the Clean Water Act and WOTUS sounds like they will not be touched by this administration. So I think that's definitely a little bit of a good news win for agriculture. It certainly sounds like it, Delaney, but like I said, I am all out of news for today. What do you say we hop over to the markets? Let's do that, Ashton. And this week, as we wrap up markets, we saw Chinese corn futures, as I mentioned earlier, posted the biggest weekly gains since September as their government forecasted a boost for imports. And although that wasn't necessarily friendly for today's news, I think the lingering underlying story remains that demand is likely to continue forward. So looking first here at the March corn contract down a penny and a half today to close at 548 and a half. The May unchanged today to close at 547 and a half. In soybeans, the March contract down five and three quarters cents to close at 1366 and three quarters. The May down three and a half to close at 1356. 1365 and three quarters. Chicago wheat slightly higher today as the March contract added three and three quarters cents to close at 641 and a quarter. The May up four and a half to close at 645 and three quarters. Hopping over to take a look at the livestock bits mixed trade today across the cattle complex as the February live cattle contract added 27 and a half cents to close at 116.72. The April up two cents to close at 123.77. In feeder cattle today, March setting a dollar. Dollar twenty-two to close at one thirty-eight twenty-seven. The April down forty-seven and a half cents to close at one forty-two twenty. Lean hogs mostly higher today as the April contract added a dollar to close at eighty thirty. The May up a dollar ten to close at eighty-three ninety-two and a half. And rounding out our markets with the Class Three dairy milk futures. March up sixty-three cents today to close at sixteen sixty-four. The April up three quarters to close at seventeen twelve. Ashton, without further ado, fill us in on who we're talking to for today's interview. Today, we are talking to Stephen Sick about F2F Genetics Network. We are talking to Stephen Sick, who is the breeding project manager for Farmers Business Network's F2F Genetics Network. Stephen, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. You're welcome. Glad to be here. So before we started recording, you were telling me a little bit more about what you do as the breeding project manager. And I think it's pretty interesting because that's not a super common title, I would assume. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit more about what you do at the Genetics Network as well? Sure. My role within the F2F Genetics Network is to bring together different corn genetics from across the globe uh, from different companies. Most of them have never spoken to each other. Uh, Some may not even know that they exist. 
Uh, so we bring that material together, uh, make different hybrid crosses and all to bring new and improved products to growers throughout the Corn Belt. So we've had a representative from FBN on before. We've talked about it quite a bit on the podcast, but for those listeners who might be new to the podcast or haven't seen those episodes or listened to those episodes, can you give us just a quick rundown of FBN? Sure. FBN is a member-based network. Uh, As of now, the membership is free. Uh, We have a, a rising number of members, especially up through Canada as well. So FBN, it was the genetics network was formed to bring more value to the price of seed to the growers. Um, we understand that, you know, seed is not price to value. Uh, we could demonstrate that through, you know, FBN member con- contributed data uh, from where products are priced, you know, a wide range of prices throughout the country. Uh, you know, and people, other companies participate in what's called zone pricing. FBN does not do that. so. Once we take that out of the equation through the AF2F genetics network, we're able to bring growers a high quality, high performing product at a very fair price. Gotcha. And Stephen, when we're talking about F2F genetics, I kind of want to talk about the advantage that it gives farmers or, you know, how it benefits them. So can you just kind of run through the advantage or the the benefits of using this platform? Sure. The biggest advantage that F2F genetics network can provide to the grower is we provide an unbiased look at hybrids and performance across the country. Uh, we have over 240 R&D test sites, as well as a large, as a large number of on-farm grower trials. Uh, all that data, data is shared unbiased through the FBN system. So the benefit that that brings to the grower is we don't throw data out. Uh, we accept that there's going to be the good along with the bad. Uh, obviously, you always hope the good outweighs the bad. However, we're fully transparent, and that is definitely unique in the industry. Uh, that brings a lot of values to, to the grower in the fact that, you know, we're not hiding anything. Um, we're fully transparent. We're fully open and honest with performance, uh, with everything that we know the grower knows. And the the world that we're we're living in, I think transparency is kind of a a big deal and growing more important as consumers are growing, you know, more concerned about where their food comes from. And that being said, I kind of want to talk a little bit more about what you guys are doing at the test plot sites. So can you tell us a little bit more about those test plots and the trials that you all are working through? Sure. FBN, amongst those 240 plus R&D sites, uh, we test the full entire portfolio of hybrids across multiple locations, across multiple environments, soil types. All that data is captured and translated into the data in the fall that's fully open to you know, any FBN network member. Uh, one of the other things that is unique about FBN is we're almost fully mini strips. So what mini strips are is they're more rows and longer rows than a standard research trial. Throughout the years, we've proven that this is definitely correlated better to a grower's yield situation and yield environment than through normal small plot testing that a regular seed company would do. 
So we're going that extra mile and that extra step uh, compared to a lot of companies, you know, that are out there in the industry. So what kind of seeds can farmers expect when they go and look at your website? Uh, FBN offers conventional corn. We offer fully treated corn hybrids through the Master Farmer brand, um, E3 soybeans through the Paloma brand, as well as F2F conventional alfalfa. Uh, you can also find, if you're into the organic side of the market, um, Blue River Organic Seeds is now part of FBN, and that is also available. So Blue River Organic Corn, Soybeans, Alfalfa, and Forage Sorghum is also available. You're not just collecting data and, and all that good stuff through F2F Genetics. Farmers are also able to shop. So can you kind of just run us through what your online store looks like? How, you know, shipping works? Is this just for, you know, farmers in the Corn Belt region? Um, will you just kind of give us the rundown on that? Yes, everything is fully open to any member uh, as far as what's available on the FBN marketplace. F2F and FBN ships direct to the customer. Uh, so we avoid a lot of the, the shipping delays and shipping costs uh, that other companies incur. That's one huge benefit to the FBN network. Now, Stephen, on the F2F website, there's a, a tag here that says Farmers First. So can you tell us a little bit more about this campaign and what it means for farmers? The, the Farmers First campaign was you know, originally designed to just basically what it says, um, put the farmers first. A lot of seed companies put their own selves first, uh, put a lot of other things first by having multiple steps and multiple layers between developing a hybrid or developing a product and how it gets to the farmer. FBN through the Farmers First program is putting the farmer first. We, you know, FBN understands that, you know, it's it's a tough world out there. Um, even with five plus dollar corn right now, it's still tough and and everybody needs to be able to save wherever they can. And through Farmers First, FBN is, is offering growers that ability to do that uh, by cutting out a lot of those middle steps. Well, Stephen, for our listeners who want to learn more about F2F genetics and maybe even go and purchase some seed, where can they do that online? You can go into the FBN store at fbndirect.com. Uh, everything is fully available, all transparent pricing, uh, tech sheets, every bit of information that exists on products and about FBN is available on that site. Uh, it's a very user-friendly site compared to, you know, a lot of things. I'm not the most tech-savvy person in the world, and, and I can easily follow through it. So I definitely recommend people check it out, uh, look and see what there is to offer. And I think you'll be very happy with what there is there. Well, Stephen, thank you again so much for coming on today and talking to us about the F2F Genetics Network. You're welcome, and thank you, and we look forward to having everybody as a customer.
Thanks again there to Stephen for taking the time out of his day to come and talk to us. We've talked multiple times about the Farmers Business Network, but hadn't got the chance to talk about the F2F Genetics Network. So it's always interesting to hear back from those folks that we've already talked to before and see how things are going there at their companies, businesses, whatever you want to call them. Absolutely, Ashton. We're following up with folks as new stories and developments arise in the world of agriculture. But folks, be sure to check out any of our past episodes at Ag News Daily so you stay abreast of all the latest agricultural news and information we've got to share. You can also find us on social media at Ag News Daily. With that, Ashton, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.